0: informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen.
1: And welcome to AOA. Thank you for joining us here today as we are ready for another great show talking about agriculture and looking at things that are impacting rural America. Happy to have you along for the ride. Joining us here on today's program, we are going to hear from the newly crowned Princess K of the Milky Way, Emma Kubal, in segment four today. She is at the Minnesota State Fair. We're going to Hear about uh, her coronation and more coming up later in the show. We're also going to talk with Andrew Berenberg from American Farmland Trust about some of their farm bill priorities and other policy issues they are watching in segment three. In segment two today, we're going to talk about what's going on in the ag equipment market. Casey Seymour with Moving Iron LLC will join us coming up here to uh, provide some insight as to what we are seeing going on, whether it be combine sales, tractors, you name it. We're going to talk about that in segment two. Kicking things off, though, here on today's program, America Coalition for Ethanol has their annual business meeting happening in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and here with us to tell us more about what's going on, the CEO for the American Coalition for Ethanol Brian Jennings is with us here today on AOA. Brian, it's great to talk with you again. I hope you're doing well.
2: Hey, Jesse. Uh, thanks for having me back. We're doing really well. Thanks.
1: Well, Brian, let's uh, let's dive in. Annual business meeting going on here, wrapping up uh, on Friday. Uh, walk us through what are some of the uh, highlights? What's been going on at that business meeting here the last couple of days?
2: Well, Jesse, we've had a really strong crowd here um, at our conference. This is our 36th annual uh, conference, believe it or not. It's really a mix of ethanol producers and farmers and then a, a few other businesses that provide some sort of a service or sell a piece of equipment to the industry. And we've been talking about a variety of topics around increasing ethanol demand, both domestically and around the globe. Ah uh, this morning we'll we'll discuss some of those export opportunities. Yesterday, we really took a deep dive into e15 year round and the the various um, activities underway to try to finally once and for all take care of that issue uh, so so consumers can benefit from that. And then we've spent quite a bit of time talking about how farmers can get involved in, um, helping supply lower carbon intensity feedstocks to these biofuel producers um, that will earn a premium at some point in the future in some of these clean fuel markets that are being stood up around the country, and then to take advantage of some new tax credits that Congress adopted last year. There's really a, a nice role, if those tax credits are implemented properly, for mm-hmm. some uh, economic value to flow back to biofuel producers and ultimately to flow back to farmers.
1: A lot of great uh, topics there. It sounds like a lot of great conversations happening at the uh, conference here this week. And you mentioned E15, Brian, I know that is something that we continue to watch. And uh, just a few weeks ago, I know ACE called on the Biden administration to intervene on the Midwest E15 waiver rule. Can you Talk a little bit about that. Where do we stand with this whole E-15 waiver situation and getting E-15 year-round?
2: So the ball really is in in EPA's court regarding the request by Midwest states to allow E-15 permanently year-round. EPA has been sitting on a petition from Midwest states for about 400 days, Jesse, and they were supposed to take action on that within about 90 days. That's why we wrote the president earlier this month to bring this to his attention. Um, Things have gone on way too long, and it's to, to the point, Jesse, where the attorneys general for both Iowa and Nebraska actually a couple weeks ago filed a lawsuit against EPA regarding their inaction. So we're really trying to ramp up the pressure on the Biden administration to take care of this issue. You know, the nice thing the Biden administration has done is issue those emergency waivers for 2022 and this summer. So we've had mm-hmm. that availability going forward, but they're telling us it's unlikely we'll get that kind of emergency relief in the future. So this petition by these Midwest governors is one of, of two really critical uh, paths that we're pursuing to try to get this issue taken care of once and for all.
1: Well, i know in the case of e15 as you mentioned 400 days now some 400 days that they've been sitting on this at epa and you know there's been a, obviously a lot of the talk about the clean energy initiatives from the Biden administration and looking at electric vehicles and more and more and you know i know the ethanol industry has wondered you know why they're not necessarily in more of those uh discussions et cetera, and it just one has to wonder, I mean, what, what is the EPA doing here? Are they are they just trying to sit on this as long as they can? I, I know we're kind of maybe speculating a little bit, Brian, but it's just interesting that they're sitting on this this long.
2: Yeah, the EPA sends some some mixed and oftentimes not very positive signals to this industry. That's for sure, Jesse. And, it, you know, we do remain concerned about the almost singular focus on electric vehicles. We know how impractical it is to electrify everything in the transportation space. We understand that liquid fuels are going to play a role for decades to come. Billions upon billions of gallons will will need to be used. And if the administration sincerely wants to decarbonize that fuel, Biofuels and corn ethanol, uh, what my industry uh, represents is certainly an important way to go, and and approving E15 year-round is a step in the right direction because it has lower greenhouse gas emissions, it has lower evaporative emissions. So we've got the science on our side, we've just got to, you know, get get some action going from EPA, and, and oftentimes that's easier said than done.
1: Well, on the flip side, you said mixed signals from EPA. I know here just recently they've uh, denied some various small refinery exemptions. So, I I mean, you see that, and then you see them slow to react on Midwest E15 waivers. So I I would agree it does create a lot of mixed signals for the ethanol industry, Brian.
2: Yeah, I can't complain all the time. That's a great point that you make, Jesse. The Biden administration has uh, helped turn the corner on the past abuse of those small refinery exemptions. So that's something we're very grateful for um, because it really had undermined ethanol demand and, and renewable fuel demand in the past. So, yeah, it just goes to the point of these mixed signals. And and we'll, we'll keep working on the administration. I think the positive thing is they initially proposed to allow mid- Midwest states to, to use E15 year-round they just are dragging their feet on the final approval for that, And that's what we're trying to get done here in in the mm-hmm. in the remaining months of the year.
1: Brian, final thoughts before we uh, run out of time here in this first segment uh, anything else you're really watching, paying attention to uh, what's what's going on in the ethanol industry right now?
2: You know, Jesse, I would just conclude by saying, There is a lot of interest, I would say growing interest on the part of farmers and ethanol producers to figure out how certain farming practices, reduce tillage, uh, nutrient management more efficiently using your fertilizers, how those kinds of practices can help bring down the carbon intensity of those feedstocks being delivered to facilities, and then help those facilities earn a premium through a tax credit or through a clean fuel market. And we're really trying to work to help them through that.
1: Well, we appreciate the time joining us during the 36th annual convention for the American Coalition for Ethanol. CEO Brian Jennings, thanks for joining us on AOA today, Brian. We'll get you back on the show soon.
2: All right. Thanks, Jeffy.
1: And coming up next, we're going to talk ag equipment markets with Casey Seymour from Moving Iron. That's next here on AOA. Are you heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur? Stop by the Trelleborg booth on 10th Street and see Mike Pearson and me, Jesse Allen, broadcasting live. Learn about the HF-1000 and features that minimize soil compaction. We will be broadcasting live from Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from the Farm Progress Show. That's Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. We'll see you in Decatur. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you
3: don't want to miss. People look at your farm; they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trade protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStax Pro with RNAI technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStaxPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright
1: 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved.
0: America's farmers and ranchers informed AOA now back to Jesse Allen
1: well what's hot and what's not in the ag equipment market that is something we want to talk about here on today's program and here to help us walk through it Casey Seymour with Moving Iron LLC and the host of the Moving Iron podcast and Casey thanks for joining me on AOA today how are you
8: I'm good, Jesse, and congratulations for taking over the reins on the show here. I haven't had a chance to talk to you since uh, since the transition, so congratulations.
1: Well, thank you very, very much. Uh, enjoying it so far. I hope our our listeners are, are enjoying uh, things as well here, and uh, happy to have you on with me here today. Let's uh, let's dive in this ag equipment market. I know there's some sectors of this market that have been hot. There's some sectors that have a bit of an oversupply here, so to speak. So uh, let's just start. What's your overall 1,000-foot view of what's going on in the ag equipment space and the auction market right now?
8: Well, combines are an easy thing to pick on because everyone, not everybody does it. So I might as well step in the ring, too, and take <laughs> a few sucker punches at it as well. Combine market is uh, it's, it's tight. You know, it's as you take a look at what's going on in the marketplace, there's a lot of combines out there, especially, especially Class 8 combines, as you take a look. At that marketplace and see what's happening there. I've been watching a few auctions on uh, and watching how the results come in, and some odd trend lines have developed a little bit. Um, you watch these timed online auctions, and the last, you know, 30 minutes of the auction, you're thinking that you're going to get a bargain here, and and $250,000, $200,000 worth of value gets added to those auctions those last 30 minutes. Now. That's not uncommon to watch the last 30 minutes to really watch something shoot up. But to see something double in value in the last you know 45 to 30 minutes of the auction is is very uncommon. And as I'm watching that, I'm just thinking that a lot of guys are watching this because of interest rates and the value of the machinery and those kind of things. And and they're trying to jump in at the last possible minute and spend the least amount of money as they can and see if they can get it in. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing any real... You know cascading effect of values on combines yet it's not by no means are they strong but it's not what i would expect to see right now so you know honestly jesse watching the uh, the combine market i'm somewhat surprised at how uh, the values have stayed up where they're at
1: well, it's very interesting, too. You mentioned about some of those auctions folks jumping in there at the last minute and doubling that price. I mean, is it just, it's hard to say, I think, what that could be. Some of it could be some folks maybe just have a little extra capital that they've been yeah. sitting on here, possibly, and they're they're trying to do their best to get something it almost feels like a, a housing market type situation there with everyone kind bit. of going in at the last minute and bidding each other up a little bit Casey
8: yeah that's kind of what I think too you I mean you're, you're watching that uh they're trying to see where that's at what they need to do and they've made that decision of where they're going to be at at the end and they're they're putting that kind of all in last minute to see if they can mm-hmm. beat the clock and and uh be the be the big winner and mark away or something there so I don't know the combine market deal is uh it's going to be something to continue to watch as we roll through um, and see these things happen. So, you know, a combine market, everyone talks about it, but it, it's it's the last they're like the last person to hear about the party. And then the, they have to be, the, you know, the first person to leave the party when they get there. So they don't have a sure. lot of opportunity to have any fun when the rest of the, of the uh, market is having a great time.
1: Casey what about tractors or semis trailers other pieces of equipment uh, you know grain wagons whatever we're sure. talking here what are what are some other trends you're seeing right now
8: on the row crop tractor side there there are quite a few out there and, and we're going to continue to see more show up uh, especially as you take a look at um you know shipments from the factories are getting better you know so they're starting to see more and more equipment show up uh you read a lot of articles out there about you know John Deere's you know hundreds of percent more than they were last year and that's you know that that's just because they delivered five last year and now they delivered you know 15 so there's a a big a big jump there as you look at that i would say looking at some of the the lower valued stuff you know you start talking about stuff that's under fifty thousand bucks and those kind of things there there seems to be a little bit of a demand for some of that stuff out there just because of you know, they have that kind of capital on hand. They have that kind of cash on hand. Uh, you look at the at farmers and what they have available as far as capital goes, they have that available to them. And you're starting to see some of that kind of perk up. Similar situation that we saw back in 18 and 19 when, um, you know, they had enough equity and some cash to really kind of go out and get the new baler, get the new uh, grain cart, those kind of things. Let's um, see those kind of upgrades. So we're seeing something similar to that right now. Um, I would anticipate seeing that pick up here towards the end of the year especially as we move into some tax buying um, uh, motivations Mm -hmm. there so i would continue to see that to explode but uh, you know i'm I'm watching that row crop tractor market right now just because of the fact of the numbers that are out there and what's that look like they're they're the last thing to lose value and, and the first thing to increase in value so um we'll see what happens with that as we as we move through the end of the year
1: you brought up a great point there, Casey. We're getting to that time of year, the back half of the year, where a lot of farmers, ranchers, they'll talk with their CPA, they'll look at their tax position, and a lot of times they see some of that you know, late in the year, late in the calendar year, buying of equipment to to meet some of those tax obligations. So I, I wonder, does, does the trend usually pick up towards the end of the year after harvest, making some of those tax purchases? But also a caveat to that this year is, high interest rates how does yeah. that cost of money possibly play into that situation here as we get to the end of the year
8: yeah so the, the interest rate thing is something i've paid attention to all year and I, to be honest with you jesse i haven't really seen interest rates start to play a factor yet don't get me wrong mm-hmm. the conversation comes up we're seeing it and, and guys are, are having those conversations but really kind of answer your question about time frame it really starts now and kind of goes through the end of the year with a real peak pickup in mid-october all the mm-hmm. way through the end of the year, I don't think. I think on-farm income is still going to be high enough this year that that we're not going to see a lot of uh, uh, deterrent from from uh, interest rates as much as we'd seen. Uh, maybe if if you know, corn. They're, if they're forecasting where corn's at right now for for yeah. the end of the year crop, you know, December corn was. Then this is the price. Yes, we'd have some issues. I think seeing that, but as it looks right now. I'm anticipating a pretty healthy end-of-the-year buying pattern, and I think there's going to be plenty of opportunity for folks out there to get uh, the machine they're looking for at the price they're looking to pay.
1: We're talking with Casey Seymour from Moving Iron LLC. Any other segments of the ag equipment market you're watching, Casey, that uh, we need to keep an eye on potentially?
8: I think loader tractors are something else that are out there, that that 100 to 150 horsepower tractor. As you take a look at where we're at with um, machines that are coming back from various state mowing contracts and, and uh, some of the larger um, uh, buyers out there that have these multiple units of, uh, of uh, uh, loader tractors, and what those look like, I think there's an opportunity there that – to kind of replenish some of the stuff that's come up short of the last couple of years when you start looking at supply, that there could be a good selection of loader tractors pop up out there too. So if you're a, a hay producer or a cattle producer or something like that, looking to upgrade, um, there might be a good opportunity for you to take a look at that loader market, uh, loader tractor market and make some decisions here at the end.
1: Yeah, sounds like a, a lot of potential out here and make some decisions over the next couple of months. Casey, I was uh, doing some looking on the movingironllc.com website, and I, I want to give a couple plugs for you here. I know you guys have your summit coming up in September here just yeah. a couple weeks away in Nashville, and then uh, the your uh, podcast as well. But start with that summit. What are folks going to see September 11th through the 13th at the uh, 2023 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee?
8: Yeah, the good thing about that is just a, it's a good gathering of people that are in the equipment business, a uh, good networking opportunity. Um, we've got some great speakers coming in. Uh, Sean Glass from Echelon Front is going to come in and talk a little bit about, uh, from a leadership perspective, we've got a lot of stuff coming on uh, that's going to be changing in, in the coming times, so looking at that, uh, it's is, is going to be a good opportunity there, and as well as just some good industry folks are going to be leading some sessions about, you know, whether we're talking about international sales or whatever it might be, there, there's a good opportunity there to uh, network with folks that kind of do the same thing we do all day long so have a good opportunity to put some names with faces and and also see some old friends there
1: i'm sure folks can get registered find more details uh, online again movingironllc.com sure. can't they casey yes they
8: can very much so
1: awesome and as well i know you host the uh, moving iron podcast should yeah. give a plug uh, for that as well real quick casey
8: yeah the moving iron podcast uh, i've been doing that now for almost uh, six years i think now and uh it's it's basically just the fundamental uh, economic drivers of the farm equipment business is what i'm looking at so got market stuff on there we have got economic stuff on there as well as just you know good old-fashioned boots on the ground interviews with folks out there doing it every day so you find that anywhere you can find a podcast or you can uh, go to movingironllc.com and you can see it there as well
1: real quick any final thoughts anything else you would uh, reiterate for folks as they're watching this ag equipment market here over the next couple of months yeah
8: i think this end of the year auction thing is going to be a a good one to watch because i feel like there's an opportunity uh, to really see some things move and and I, I don't think there's going to be any big market corrections yet i'm looking forward to more of that in 24 yeah. but i, I think uh, this year if you're looking to buy something uh, i think you're going to have the opportunity if you've missed out on during you know 21 through you know 23 if you've had missed out on something you're looking for i think you're going to have that opportunity this year to buy it
1: do some homework kick yep. some tires uh or you know I guess you could can't really virtually kick any tires, Casey, but you can do your best, do some homework before. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh,
8: it's getting and easier. It,
1: it is getting a little bit easier, yeah. that's for sure. Casey Seymour, Moving Iron LLC, thanks so much for joining us here today on AOA. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.
8: Appreciate it, Jesse. Thank you.
1: All right, coming up next, Andrew Berenberg with American Farmland Trust will join us to talk farm bill and more. That's next here on AOA.
7: At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology. So you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023, Bear Group, always preserved.
0: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grains are mostly up this morning. Beans are leading the charge there. Livestock is mostly higher as well, with hogs seeing some triple-digit gains currently. Now, yesterday was the last day of the Pro Farmer Midwest Crop Tour. It is now complete, except we haven't gotten the final results yet. Now, those results will be released later today, likely after the markets close. However, last year they did leak out early. This tour is the best look of the crop ahead of the September 12th USDA report. Now, the September USDA estimate will be much more thorough, doing a better job of sampling the entire corn belt. But the tour does provide the best picture of the corn and bean crops ahead of September 12th. They saw some problem areas out there created by times of crop stress during critical development phases, including a very hot-dry period we're currently experiencing in the Midwest. Now, those hot and dry periods have, are, and will take their toll on the corn and soybean crops, But this is not a 2012 disaster. It is enough of concern for beans to threaten the balance sheet if China comes in with somewhat normal demand this fall, although that is still in doubt. Corn demand, however, is likely so much weaker than currently forecast by USDA that we could take a significant hit in yields without requiring price rationing. Now, we'll look for USDA to reduce demand as it reduces yield to keep corn stocks well above year-ago levels for now. Soybean traders, though, must respect the possibility that export demand might hold up if China wants to focus on building its reserves rather than drawing on them. Now, today, we will also get word by Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell at the Jackson Hole, Wyoming Symposium. Most likely, he'll say the same things that he has for quite some time now that the rates will stay higher for longer. But the VIX is trading below 17, while the dollar index is near 104 after posting a fresh 11-week high earlier this morning. Crude oil prices are also about 1% higher. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet.
3: I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft
8: and crumbly.
3: Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, Go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win.
2: (laughs) Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station.
0: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen.
1: And welcome back to AOA Agriculture of America here today. Joining us now on the program, he is the Deputy Policy Director for American Farmland Trust. Andrew Berenberg is with us. Andrew, great to have you on AOA today. How you doing?
6: I'm doing great, Jesse. Thanks for having me.
1: I appreciate the time. We have a a lot of different topics that I want to cover with you here today. So let's just dive right in. And uh, one of those is the land access farming opportunity legislation. I, I saw Uh, Back in July, a couple weeks ago, you guys had uh, talked about this uh, in a press release and more and looking at this bipartisan bill introduced in the month of July. Uh, Can you just give us a background? What exactly is this legislation first off, Andrew?
6: Sure. The Farm Service Agency at USDA last year stood up the first ever program in USDA's history that specifically addresses land access for farmers. It's called the FSA, Increasing Land Capital and Market Access Program. And it's really, it's not only the first time that they've addressed land access specifically through a program, but also one reason that we at American Farmland Trust are excited about it is it really connects the dots between accessing land and also accessing capital to start your farm business and accessing new markets and really bringing like the full wraparound technical assistance services to support the next generation of producers. USDA used $300 million of one-time COVID relief funding to award somewhere around 50 projects uh, around the country that were just announced in June. And Mm -hmm. so it being farm bill season, it's really an exciting opportunity to really capitalize on that momentum and try and see if we can authorize, permanently authorize that program in the Farm Bill. So the Land Access Security and Opportunity Act was introduced first in the House by Representatives Budzinski of Illinois, Zach Nunn, Republican of Iowa, more recently introduced in the Senate by Senator Tina Smith. And it would essentially codify that program, authorize some appropriations to increase funding down the road, and really expand it to really dial in the potential that this has to support beginning socially disadvantaged farmers, um, really all farmers in accessing farmland. Um, Mm -hmm. We know from various surveys of young farmers Access to land, it's no surprise, is the number one challenge facing farmers entering the market. We also know the average age of farmers in the U.S. is approaching 60 years old. And nearly half of U.S. farmland is on the brink of changing ownership Mm -hmm. over the next couple of decades. Uh, So this is really an urgent challenge. And so now is the time uh, as, as Congress is drafting a new farm bill to really solidify those gains and address this problem.
1: Well, and I think along with the things you mentioned, it feels like this legislation, both the House and Senate versions, kind of at the heart of uh, many of the things you guys work to protect at American Farmland Trust. You know, we think with ag land at, at record high prices, there's a lot of competition from developers and investors to take away some farmland. But you guys lead that effort to try and keep farmland in production and and conservation measures and more and more. And so it feels like this legislation is really kind of at the heart of your guys's mission there at American farmland trust.
6: Yeah, that's right. And we've been around for a while, right? Founded in 1980, specifically to save America's farms and ranches. And you're right, this is at the heart of that. And those, the challenges of protecting farmland seem like they're even more urgent than when we were founded back in the 80s, right? As you said, we have not just your traditional development pressures, things like urban, suburban sprawl into farm communities, but now we have a lot of investors buying up farmland. We have just a lot of new types Of pressure. And again, like this comes at the cusp of this generational handoff that's at a scale that we haven't really seen before in in the US. And so for our ag economy to remain viable, like we really have to pay attention to that baton passing, right? Whether it's intergenerational transfer of these farms, you know, within the family, which I know is is the dream of so many farmers, like nearing retirement, but also supporting a new, you know, first generation farmers, people, young people who are interested in getting into the business for the first time.
1: Well, Andrew, another piece of legislation as well that uh, has uh, in Congress right now is the naturally offsetting emissions by managing and implementing tillage strategies act or for short, the no emits act. And I know this is a bill that's aimed at supporting farmers and improving soil health and American farmland trust. Do you guys have applauded this legislation as well? Could you talk about that a little bit?
6: Yeah, of course. So at AFT, I mean, we essentially have three priorities, right? Our North Star is protecting agricultural land, always has been. But in addition to that, we promote environmentally sound farming practices on that land. And then the third leg of the stool is keeping farmers on the land running viable farm businesses. Um, So in an effort to promote soil health practices and make sure farmers have the support that they need to adopt these um, resilient farming practices. You know, we look at uh, we look at the full range of of support programs. Like obviously, USDA and RCS programs are hugely popular, right? Um, almost right to a fault. Uh, those programs are oversubscribed. Um, you know, for instance, between 2010 and 2020, EQIP, for example, you know, the kind of the, the marquee conservation program at USDA was only able to fund less than a third of applications, right? So we know that we need more support. Um, and one thing that's exciting is that states are stepping in um, to the mix here. We have, you know, close to 10 states that have their own soil health programs um, to promote soil health practices. And what's great about that is is not only does it kind of augment um, some of the gaps in federal programs, but also you can you can bet those programs are going to be uh, responsive to farmers in those states, to the growing climate in those states, um, and to the practices that are most popular among farmers. Um, so we really want to find a way in this Farm Bill to support states that are doing that. And, and one way uh, to do that is just to create a federal matching program for states uh, to stand up their own soil health uh, programs, right? As some have mm-hmm. done, and then support new states in in developing their own programs. Uh, so that's one component of the No Emits Act um, that we're excited about. And there are a few proposals like out there in in farm bill land that have been introduced, um, and we're really hoping that that this farm bill includes uh, some form of of support for states. Um, you know we we know that these soil practices are going to be increasingly important right as as farmers are are facing the impacts of climate change um but you know for all the support out there you know as of 2017 cover crops for instance like one of the most popular Um, Soil health practices, it's still only 6% of eligible acres. Right. So we've got a a ways to go. Um, There are a number of tools in the toolbox here. um, And we think this is a, a great one that that is popular among Republicans and Democrats on the Hill.
1: Andrew, uh, as well, before we let you go, as we're talking about these pieces of legislation and uh, more farm bill in general, any other uh, big things you guys want to see in the farm bill and also any updates you're hearing on the farm bill? I know we're working through the August recess and uh, it's sounding like it could be an end of the year for the farm bill, not necessarily by the September 30th deadline. So any other things you guys are looking forward, any updates you're hearing from Capitol Hill?
6: Yeah, I could start with the second part, but I'm sure you have uh, better sources than me, Jesse. Both committees are working on drafts. We know that September is going to be crazy month on the Hill. And really, you know, it's not unusual for farm bill cycles to drag on to the end of the calendar year. The 2018 farm bill was passed in, I think, late, mid to late December. But that that really is the deadline because some of those commodity programs start to get pretty wonky as you change the calendar year. So that's probably the deadline. I saw Senator Grassley make comments yesterday saying that if if we don't get one by the end of December, then a one year extension of the farm bill is is likely, which notably would put it after the 2024 election. So that's kind of where we're at. I think everyone remains committed to to getting a deal through both the chambers, um, and so do we. Among our farm bill priorities, I mean, as I said, farmland protection will always be a priority for us in the farm bill and the the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program at NRCS is the best tool. So we're really looking for ways to both support increased funding for that program and streamline, right? I mean, this is kind of a a difficult budget environment to draft a farm bill in. Everyone working around Congress knows that. So we're always looking for ways to leverage existing programs, streamline programs like ASEP. We're excited about a new bipartisan bill in the Senate to support farmer to farmer networks. We know and, and as I said, conservation practices, soil health practices, farmers learn best from each other, right? That the information that spreads, you know, across the coffee table from field to field is is a great way to kind of support adoption of these that are kind of regionally appropriate. So we want to support farmers out there doing things like soil health field days, um, learning exchanges, that kind of thing. We're excited about that bill that was recently introduced by Senators Lujan and Moran. And then as I said, you know, business technical assistance, that that type of wraparound assistance, the one to one sitting down with the farmer at the kitchen table to really dial in business plans seems so important right now in this very tight ag economy and as as you start to see disruptions in markets things like that helping farmers weather the storm you know we've seen that work before we certainly saw it during the disruptions of the pandemic so we're always looking for ways to support increased funding for business technical assistance that's in the land access bill that we mentioned at the top there are a few other programs that directly fund that type of work so we'll we'll certainly be Supporting that. And one last bill I just want to mention is a bicameral bill to establish an office of small farms at USDA. You know, we've lost over 200,000 farms over the last 10, 15 years. Most of them have been small and medium sized. We know that small scale producers have unique needs accessing programs, and we know how fundamental they are to rural communities, to regional food supply chains, things like that. So establishing an office to really examine all USDA programs and program implementation through that small farm lens, we think, is a great way to, again, just maximize the investments that Congress is making through these farm bill programs and make sure that the kind of one size fits all does fit all.
1: Well, with that, we're up against the clock, but we do appreciate the time. Deputy Policy Director with American Farmland Trust, Andrew Berenberg, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. We'll look forward to getting you back on the show again soon.
6: All right, look forward to it, Jesse, thanks.
1: All right. Up next, we'll wrap up the show. We'll talk with the newly crowned 70th Princess K of the Milky Way, Emma Kubal. That's next here on AOA.
3: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
4: Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute.
3: Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one,
0: Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org/caregiving. That's aarp.org/caregiving.
3: A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
1: Are you heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur? Stop by the Trelleborg booth on 10th Street and see Mike Pearson and me, Jesse Allen, broadcasting live. Learn about the HF-1000 and features that minimize soil compaction. We will be broadcasting live from Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from the Farm Progress Show. That's Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. We'll see you in Decatur.
3: Challenge. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge. But with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com slash rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices.
1: This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Christian Roloff, an Allegiant Seed Product Specialist, about cover crops. Christian, what are some agronomic benefits from planting cover crops? Reduce soil
5: compaction, break up soil compaction, those hard pans that we sometimes get from running the plow across the ground year after year after year. Nutrient storage, nutrient production from something like legume crop, a lot of times we'll get nodule production on the roots, start to generate some nitrogen there in the soil, that's one. Another one, if you have livestock on the operation, could be some free forage, maybe not necessarily a uh, agronomic benefit, but an overall benefit to the operation. Erosion control is one of the bigger ones that we hear about, talked about, wind, water erosion either way, I've seen huge benefits from cover crops. Weed suppression, where we introduce a plant, the less ground that there is available for weeds to germinate and grow. We can reduce weed suppression, disease control, and some of our typical, more common crop rotations, such as corn, soybean, or maybe a wheat fallow rotation.
1: How do cover crops help to build soil health?
5: Enhancing the microbiology or or the microorganisms in the soil and just improving their environment, getting more activity, longer lifespan throughout the growing season. That's really what soil health is and then increasing the organic content, the organic matter in the soil through additional root growth, additional plant growth, more organisms going in the soil helping build that organic matter content throughout the year, across many years potentially, will help improve water holding capacity and then nutrient capacity as well.
1: Christian, how do cover crops fit into typical crop rotations?
5: identify what your goals are. That'll actually help guide what species you want to plant. If you're looking to simply break up soil compaction, radishes and turnips might be the best option. First, if you're looking to maybe get some nitrogen production where you're going to look more towards the legumes, maybe a pea, a vetch, something along those lines.
1: Thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com.
0: Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen.
1: And thanks for sticking with us here today on AOA. We do appreciate it. Jesse Allen back with you here in studio. And uh right now, want to wrap up today's program with something really fun. The brand new Princess K of the Milky Way has been crowned here earlier this week. The 70th, in fact, Princess K of the Milky Way. Emma Kuball from Waterville, Minnesota. She joins us now here on the program. Emma. Congratulations on being crowned the uh, brand new Princess K of the Milky Way. How are you today?
4: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Now, as I understand it, you are in the butter booth right now as we're speaking, getting uh, getting your butter sculpture done. Is that correct?
4: That is correct. I'm sitting here with Jerry and he's working hard on my butter sculpture. now
1: that's got to be an interesting experience right not only seeing all the awesome work that that they're doing with the butter sculpture but getting your likeness carved out of butter that's got to be pretty cool right
4: it is so cool i've been dreaming about this my entire life so just being in here for the second day in a row and seeing my face become my face in butter is really incredible and it's such a cool experience
1: well, you are going to serve as the official uh, goodwill ambassador for over 1,800 Minnesota dairy farm families here, uh, being crowned the new Princess K of the Milky Way. Take us back to uh, the night you were crowned here earlier this week and, and just that whole ceremony. What were your feelings as you were crowned and then now that you've had a few days to kind of let it all sink in? Can you talk about that a little bit?
4: Yeah, on coronation night, I couldn't even – Believe that the crown touched my head. I don't think I even heard my name get called. I just felt the crown on my head, and I immediately was like, "I cannot believe that it's me." And it was kind of special because one of my best friends was standing right next to me too. So it was really cool to have her right by my side as I was getting crowned. And the nine other amazing women on the stage were just so supportive, and I wouldn't have been able to do this without them. And that was really amazing to be with them. And I couldn't, I. I was just such in such shock. It had been a dream my entire life, and it finally came true. I think most girls who grow up on dairy farms and know what the Princess K program is dream dream of being Princess K, but as they get a little bit older, they realize what a difficult task that is to actually complete and to actually be Princess K and how there are so many amazing female leaders in the dairy industry who are also buying for the title and it's just such an incredible experience, and I'm so grateful to have it.
1: Well, Emma, as you are spending some time at the Minnesota State Fair, and then, of course, again, as you alluded to, kind of taking over this role here as the new Princess K. what are some things that you will be uh, undertaking here as you go throughout the next year? Have they have they given you a bit of an idea of some of the different things you're going to be doing here to represent as uh, the new Princess K of the Milky Way?
4: Yes, I'll be going to different conferences and meetings, breakfast on a farm, and seeing all the people that I get to meet with is so incredible. I'm excited to be able to talk with farmers and to hear their stories. I really like to get to know who these people are and who I'm representing this year. I'm excited to get to know them and really be able to represent them well. I'm looking forward to sharing their stories with people who they might not be able to meet with and being able to share how much they care for their animals and their land and all
1: of those things. We are having a conversation today with Emma Ball. She is the newly crowned 70th Princess K of the Milky Way. She was crowned here uh, just a few days ago. And Emma, as you think about uh, growing up on, on a dairy operation, I know a lot of hard work goes into uh, everything that happens on, on the dairy farm. Can you Share maybe some of your experience uh, growing up and just give, a, give folks who are listening in who may not know all the things that happen on a dairy farm. Can you just give us a, a real quick glimpse into some of the daily things that happen?
4: Yeah, so when I was growing up, my siblings and I, we were responsible for calf chores, which was definitely an interesting experience because we were all about the same age. Uh, my sister is two years older than me and my brother is three years younger than me. Uh, so we did cast tours together every single day in the summers, and we we didn't always get along like most siblings, but we <laughs> were able to work through it, and we are still really good friends today. And it taught me a lot about teamwork and working together. It also taught me that you know I can be a leader in situations because growing up I didn't think that I could, and getting into high school and FFA really taught me that I can. So that was really awesome, but growing up on a dairy farm taught me a lot about integrity and hard work, and to be honest, I wasn't always a whole lot of help during calf tours, especially when I was really young. I loved to <laughs> pet the pet the calves and talk to the calves and name them and do all of those things, but now that I'm a lot older, I do work regularly on the farm, or at least I did last summer. I may not have as much time this year, but I really do enjoy the dairy farm, and even though it was hard work, we had a lot of fun on the farm. We would play in the cotton seed piles and get our boots full of cotton. And my mom would yell at us because we get cotton in the house, but it was such a fun thing to do and make slides and steps out of the cotton.
1: Really cool insight. And, uh, awesome again to, uh, talk with you here today and uh, i know you're going to be busy uh, with everything going on there at the minnesota state fair what's your favorite part of the uh state fair there in minnesota outside of sitting in the butter booth and getting your your sculpture done as we speak what are some what are some other highlights for you at the fair
4: well the dairy goodness bar is right next to us too so that is a really nice thing to have so close because they make so many amazing dairy products and make it available to so many people who are flocking the butter booth and eating their ice cream it's really cool to see that I'm really looking forward to seeing all the students and all the people who are showing their cattle this this year and seeing how passionate they are about their animals and how much they care for them and really become close with their animals and are looking to share their experiences with fairgoers too. I'm looking forward to that.
1: Well, fantastic. We do appreciate the time here today. We'll let you uh, get back to uh, having your butter sculpture uh, put together there and uh, enjoy the rest of the uh, state fair and your time as the 70th Princess K of the Milky Way. Emma, thanks so much for joining us here on Agriculture of America today. We appreciate it.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: And again, that is Emma Kubal. She is the new Princess K of the Milky Way from Waterville, Minnesota. All right. Well, we're out of time here on AOA today. Coming up on our next episode, we will have a conversation with Cam Quarles from the National Potato Council, that and more. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA.
7: At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023, Bayer Group, always preserved. to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to
4: aceretirement.org
7: now. That's aceretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.